Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb and you see to episode 13 of the Art and Science of Running podcast uh, here in Canmore, Alberta, Canada. Uh, quite snowy, wintry day. Um, yes. <laughs> the sun is shining, but it, it's below zero and, and we're both wearing pretty heavy coats. Um, but uh, this is you're here with Malk and, and Jacob. We're back at it again. And, and today we're, we're actually just going to respond to um, some questions that we've received recently uh, about the time of year and, and things that people can do to remain active, but also to kind of how to prioritize um, their training at this point and, and structure it and um, how to lay out the coming year and, and, and all sorts of different things. So we've, we've received all, a, a lot of different questions but they all seem to be related to <laughs> what what do I do now uh, during the the colder winter months um, and, and often in most places um, darker winter months um, in in the northern hemisphere at least. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not. If, if anyone's listening in like the Caribbean, this is definitely not an episode for them. This <laughs> yeah. is this, this is definitely targeted toward our um, our uh, high latitude uh, listeners who um, who have got who have got more of a conventional winter happening around them. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully not all of you are experiencing quite as uh, as cold a winter as we are experiencing, but but nonetheless, um, just the this the, just the shorter days um, and necessitate that most people make adjustments to their training, and, um, and so we'll just discuss kind of what to do um, with that. Um, and so, right off the bat. Um, we feel like it's a it's a really good opportunity to discuss injury prevention. Um, one of the things that, that our previous guest uh, Tommy mentioned was just consistency and just that routine in in training and um, just adding layer upon layer of fitness. And he's absolutely right that that's that's one of the best ways to improve. But this this time of year is a really good time to identify any deficiencies or inefficiencies that that we might have uh, and target those so that we can build a, a more solid foundation um, and so you know Malk that's that's yours that's what you specialize in and so um, there really isn't anyone uh, <laughs> better to to talk on injury prevention um, so. well, it's a good point because um, yeah what you touched on there was like like two different ideas and I've, I see runners and maybe you see runners that fit in that, fit, that, that kind of follow these two different paths, and um, one is that you kind of stay on the on the uh, on the metaphorical treadmill the whole time. Mm-hmm. So you basically kind of just like train race, train race all through the year, and there's no break. You just kind of continuously run, and you're continuously at it. Mm-hmm. And then the other way of um, of approaching it is that, um, that you break the year up. 
mm-hmm. and you say that there's some sort of off season, mm-hmm. you start to look at things like periodization of the training and uh, target races being at a certain type of the year, mm-hmm. uh, time of the year. <clears throat> and um, it, uh, I think the first one can be good for consistency. There's mm-hmm. no question that you don't ever kind of like get off off the wagon. You're, mm-hmm. you're always going for it. You're always fit. You're always consistent. But then you don't have any time to address anything. Yeah. Because there's another race coming and then there's another race. And um, so there's pros and cons of both. Uh, mostly mm-hmm. I've dealt with the second uh, athletes that kind of follow the second path. Okay. And um, certainly at the elite level, that's what's normally done because, of course, um, the target races have high stakes associated with them. Mm-hmm. So um, Bigger paychecks. Bigger paychecks, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and, and, it's, um, and there's more of an em- emphasis on the periodization and then ultimately the peaking mm-hmm. for really a major target event. And, um, and so, and that's essentially, if we talk about periodization, cause sometimes it's not entirely, um, uh, uh, explained like what it, what it is, it's just a term thrown around, but the, the basic premise is it begins with breaking up a training cycle for some reason. So a long, long time ago when there were Olympics happening, then, um, you know, that was such a big goal event that people started to look at, you know, how, how do we prepare for for that massive event and that's where that's what periodization is essentially it's it's um it's saying that there's some target that you're going to reverse engineer back from Mm -hmm. um uh, back to today and then how do you build blocks uh of training on top of each other uh so that you peak when you reach that event and um there's always different forms of periodization that come from different original sources around the world most of them eastern europe and uh, russia but um uh they're all variations on the same theme which is how do you get from where you are today to peaking at that time in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of people at the top level, that's like the Olympics next summer, for example, in uh, Tokyo. Uh, so that would mean, okay, we're not Olympians, so we're talking about uh, the regular runner now, but um, uh, it's going to be pretty conventional that people are going to be p- picking races. Um, certainly in, in this part, like North America, North, Northern Europe, wherever it is, picking races uh, between, say, April and October next year. Uh, primarily as their main target race. If people are doing marathons, it might be, um, say, two target marathons in the year. So one of them is going to be most likely in the spring, one of them is going to be in the fall. And um, and so this is the time now where the previous season has just finished. And certainly for us in this part of the world, uh, a lot of the major races are now done and it's a time for recovery reflection. Mm-hmm. And exactly as you said, like this is the time <laughs> people start to plan. I, mean, I was like, just seeing just recently off the back of the Vegas uh, rock and roll uh, uh marathon weekend they immediately release the the promo for discount on signing up for next year yeah you know and there are people out there that will say you know oh who cares you know don't care about that now Mm -hmm. you know maybe i'll think about that in six months Mm -hmm. but there are people out there that will literally actually take that promo and Mm -hmm. say i'm getting 20 percent off or 30 percent off Mm -hmm. and i'll book now yeah and um and so everyone's in on this because it's essentially um supported by the race directors themselves (laughs) in in trail racing it's even uh greater demand and shorter supply so almost every trail race has a it has a cap road races have caps but they're often in the thousands whereas most trail races it's it's really rare that you can get more than 150 or 200 people on a trail network um unless you're kind of staggering the events so that not everyone's on the trails at the same time, but a really big trail race would be considered like 400 people throughout most of North America, unless there's private owned land, privately owned land, or, or just a, a a trail network that that's um, built to accommodate greater numbers of people. Um, 
and so uh, for example right now western states lottery uh-huh. you know is coming up and uh, right. only 400 people get in and there are you know tens of thousands of people that apply and and actually as we're talking about laying out their their calendars some people that i'm working with are just trying to run a qualifying race so that they can then apply and know that they'll they'll more than likely just be in the lottery but then potentially get their name in the following year in the following year but each year they have to run a qualifying race and um similarly for boston you know some people Mm -hmm. boston april 20th 2020 may not be on their calendar but they may have two marathons with some half marathons built up built in to try and target and and hit that boston qualifier so yeah um yeah there's there is certainly a demand (laughs) for races and and it and it does get um it seems to be even more challenging races sell out all the time, especially yeah. on the trails. Um, I, I believe it was the Squamish 50, um, you know, in 24 hours that, that thing fills up sometimes wow. in, in minutes. Um, the entire thing just sells, sells out the, the race registration, um, um, systems crash yeah. sometimes yeah. because there, so many people are trying to get into to trail races because there's, you know, people set their alarms and wake up early to do that. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there's there's certainly a lot of demand to yeah. get into those races, but uh, so the the race directors, uh, speaking as a race director, um, <laughs> you almost if you if you don't begin promoting like as soon as the race gets right. over, one you're competing for other races that are promoting. Yeah. But two, you you will get harassed. That. That sounds negative, but like sure. people yeah. won't leave you alone until you publish the the dates of next year's events, and and so you yeah. you yeah. usually have to be like a year ahead of yeah. of where like you need the dates ready to publish it, at the very least by the time that event is done in the previous year. So you really um, need and registration f- open. Yeah, times the whole thing basically is yeah. self perpetuating, right? You know, yeah. it's um, it's uh, it, yeah. The, the races have their reason they got to do it and then yep. that, that forces the runners into fitting that schedule as well and then well but sometimes yeah. i feel like the racer the runners force the race directors right. into it as well like that's what yeah. i was trying to say is that if we don't have dates ready to go because sometimes permitting can take an entire year like sometimes you're like waiting on a permit like and the race is a week away kind of thing because there are so many different entities at least in some of the races i put on and uh it, but people just insist like no i i want the I want to sign up for this now because I want to. I want to book my year sure. a, a year in advance. Wow. Um, and so part of it is it, it's not just race directors. It's 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 not chicken and egg. It's it, mm. they, they both kind of come <laughs> come together yeah. is how I've experienced it. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So that brings us to um, what is this time of year, end of November, early December, in term, in this concept of um, uh, people who are potentially listening to this or people out there in general uh, starting to make the plans, starting to look at two thousand twenty. Um, whether it's a Boston qualifier and getting that in before September, or whether it's um, it's another target race where they want to run a PR or something, and uh, so we're going to kind of split this into into our two different um, backgrounds essentially, as mm-hmm. we talk about this from two different viewpoints. And uh, my viewpoint, obviously, is as you mentioned before, uh, is around uh, making sure that the body is functioning mm-hmm. uh, optimally, or, or as much so as it can be, before the runner comes into. Um, some focused training block, um, prior, uh, you know, um, in lead up to the race. Whereas yours is around the coaching and um, uh, setting the goals, and then um, potentially periodizing to some extent the um, the running workouts that are going to happen through that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from my part, it's 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 kind of curious actually because um, 
you know, working in a in a clinic as well as independently. Uh, some of the times of the year when people come for getting analysis is not when you actually when it sort of logically makes sense. Um, this is kind of a time of the year when people quite often mention the fact that medical benefits are running out and you better use them up before the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and that, that's one driver. Um, some people sort of, I find, they check out. So they say, okay, snow's coming down, winter's turning up. And um, and so I'm not really going to think about like looking after my body, which is kind of counterintuitive to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality. Sometimes that works. You know, the bit, probably the most popular month I've seen so far this year was actually in July, hmm. which I would never have said that at the start of the year. I've never said, well, most people are going to want to get analysis in July. Yeah. And a lot of those people are like, well, uh, you know, I've got a race coming up in a month. Can you um, just check? Can you help me? Is, is that um, remote gate analysis both. or both in the clinic as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, both, both. I mean, here I would I would understand because there are only like two months where there isn't snow here. And so people, you know, make hay while, while the sun is shining kind of thing. So um, it's like, oh, I'm going to totally revamp my life uh, during these two months. But, so, I mean, yeah, if someone comes to me now in the next um, four weeks, uh, clinic or independent, and it says, uh, I'm looking forward to 2020, like, can you... Um, can you give me a gait analysis and tell me like what I need to work on and um, um, you know am I ready to, to get stuck stuck in some training? I'd say I'll be like wow you're like part of the minority right here. Yeah. <laughs> that is not normal, but um, but maybe part of uh, part of all this messaging is um, is, is encouraging people to uh, to do more at this time of year and mm-hmm. and to think about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question it's a cliche. Once you get started on the on, on a training cycle or training block, it's much harder to start correcting things and start mm-hmm. working on things. Yeah. Um, so, so much easier at this time of the year. And um, so really, like uh, I did mention on this, uh, this idea of periodization before. Now, periodization changes depending on what your uh, role is. So um, to a pure classical strength coach, um, that might mean something different to, um, to a running coach or to someone like me who's doing gait analysis and uh, injury prevention work. So in my realm, for example, and we can contrast this with, with you in a bit, um, I work on a periodization to me means breaking up the training season, the running season, where it basically kind of resets pretty much now at the end of the last season. So, um, and um, so you can think of that as like the Monday morning of your week, essentially. And mm-hmm. um, we start off with foundation work very early on. And that starts with a gait analysis. So if people can like visually imagine in their heads as I'm talking now, this kind of flow going from like left to right, um, the first thing in that kind of flow of, of actions is gait analysis first. Um, if you don't measure stuff, you don't quantify stuff, um, you're going to have a hard time knowing what you're improving and why. So that's the first thing you've got to put in the bag is, is measure some numbers and where, you, where the runner's at. And then from that, you have to then set the foundation based on what you just measured. So if the if the analysis says, okay, well, um, you know, for example, a guy came, um, I, I don't mention any names, but a guy came like two weeks ago for a gait analysis in person and um, someone that sat a lot in their job. So he had a problem where the left, the glutes on the left side around the hip didn't want to switch on and do their job. They didn't want to kind of activate and, and, and uh, the muscles didn't want to innovate. And... Um, uh, it actually turns out it's got a lot of lower back tension and it could it could well be that it, um, in the lumbar region of the spine that there's um, there's a, a physical reason why he can't switch on that, that side of the hip area muscles. And that's the kind of thing you want to know. So that when you go into the, the next stage, the foundation stage, what you're really doing is 
what I call corrective training. So you're looking at the data and saying, okay, we need to we need to deal with this here, we need to deal with this here, and you're rebalancing the body, making the body, you know, um, better at switching on, better um, at stability and that kind of stuff. And that's classical kind of injury prevention work. And then once you've done that, you can then start to work through um, through the qualities that you want to then um, bring into the runner. So when we think about things like you know, strength endurance, um, what we call in strength training like um, uh, speed strength or eventually getting on towards power. Uh, that's ultimately what you want to develop and then out of power comes speed. So you can imagine, if you're listening to this now, you can imagine this flow going from left to right where we, started, we start off with the initial analysis and data collection. Then we get into the foundation where we kind of correct stuff that needs correcting and working on. And then you build that into developing the strength, developing the power and eventually the the speed. Uh, one person that I learned from uh, in Oregon, I know we've talked about Oregon before, but um, one person that inspired me and, and when I was down there uh, on one particular occasion really kind of like left me walking away with a lot of like cool ideas in my head was a guy called Dave McHenry. Mm-hmm. And Dave was, um, or is, is was, actually yeah, he was, fantastic, fantastic physio and strength coach um, in, in Portland, um, you know, worked has worked with Nike for many years and um, looked after you know Mo Farah and Centrovitz for like six seven years, and um, and he uh, he said look you know you always got to remember every time you're doing the work what we're getting to at the end is speed what the stopwatch says that's that's the holy grail of everything if you're doing something in the gym if it doesn't affect the stopwatch then you know what we, what are you doing you've got to question it but to get to speed you have to get to something called uh, elastic efficiency so if we if you're in the gym, you, you don't have a stopwatch, you're not running around a track. So what's your goal? What's your end goal in the gym? It's elastic efficiency. So the more elastic efficiency you have, which is how you can put force into the ground and then elastically use that force in recoil to cover the ground more, more effectively, um, that's your end goal in the gym. So if you're doing a deadlift, if you're doing a squat or you're doing uh, a lunge or whatever it is, you should always be remembering that your end goal as a runner or as somebody working with a runner is elastic efficiency. That's what you're looking for at the end of it all the time because that will make the runner faster. And so that's kind of the whole workflow of essentially potential periodization there. But it all begins at that start point, which is taking those measurements, which is ideally around about now, um, assuming that the winter is the kind of quiet period for the runner. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, uh, there's different ways we can do it. I mean, the the the... the full-on way of doing it is someone comes to the clinic or the or the or the lab and um you know you spend a lot of time uh, for me it's like two to two and a half hours with each runner um collecting a huge amount of data and really pinning down like what the what's the root cause uh, classical gait analysis in the past has always been quite bad because it's always like try to identify people's weaknesses and then just say look you're not very good here and then give you a piece of paper and you walk away <laughs> And then really good gait analysis nowadays is about like you're, you're identifying the um, the root cause of what is seen on the outside mm-hmm. and then you're providing the actions to start correcting that moving forward. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like if I had, um, if all clients were ideal, they'd all be coming in right now. <laughs> they'd all be like ringing the phone and like sending an email right now and rocking up at the door. And this would be like the busiest month of the year in theory. Mm-hmm. But of course... Um, you know, public perception and culture and everything else has to has to catch up. So um, uh, the reality is actually it's not necessarily the best this time of the year at all. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it, I mean, to be fair, some people, even even that live here, um, they they intentionally pick races. Uh, let's say in January or February as almost destination races to get out of the winter. Right. And and so that's part of that question of periodization and or prioritization. <laughs> um, so some people, some people just want to train through the winter. And, and so they do have goals, whether, so for example, some popular marathons uh, just at the other side of the new year uh, would be the Houston Marathon or the Rock and Roll Arizona Marathon or the Phoenix Marathon. Uh, the, those are <laughs> those are marathons where, where people from cold places often choose as a destination place or um, the Honolulu Marathon uh, or even the California International Marathon. So mm-hmm. some people still haven't finished up their their uh, their season, so to speak, they haven't started taking that recovery or active recovery. Um, and this is, you know, from that traditional two marathons a year, um, approach, uh, on the, on the elite or sub elite side, there are also people that are training for the Olympic trials qualifiers for in the U S that are going to be in February. And so, you know, New York was kind of like the very last for the, the people that, that are, that see themselves as like, real contenders yeah. like very few people want to run uh cim and then houston <laughs> and, and and then race it my brother's doing that but yeah. uh but you know very few of the, those that are seated in the top five are are giving themselves uh that much of a risk to get injured yeah. racing yeah. um and that's so, right and so for those people they would have to sort of like they would have to ro- they'd have to pivot and spin their year round, mm-hmm. and then and then say okay my version of end of November is actually August or something like that yeah, yeah. or or exactly and and many of them did they hit the qualifier and then they took a break or they did the world championships and then they did the break again we're looking we're talking about the elite of the elite um, in the case of so I'll give my example yeah. um, I I'm on that essentially two two goal races a year. Um, plan in large part because of when we have holidays away from school like that that's yeah. the biggest reason why i do it so i intentionally pick a race that's kind of, it, it, it's also seasonal in terms of like temperatures and ideal times to train so i intentionally do a race in kind of late spring early summer because come june or even end of may our kids yeah. are going to be out of school and even though I work from home, um, th- what that really means is that I get less work done during the summer because I work from home, um, and, and because I have six kids at home, <laughs> and or that I'm that I'm responsible for entertaining and or engaging in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, so I try to do my build up th- through the through the winter months uh, i do my base building starting in january and then and then i do my more specific work uh once it's spring so march april may i'm getting shit sharp and f- fit and then i'll race at the end of march so people ask me you know how come you've done the calgary marathon the last four years well mm-hmm. one because it's really close yeah. two it's a it's a good venue but three it's because it's at that time of year where as soon as i'm done then it's summer and i can take my downtime and I can just, I don't have to worry about Mm. volume, 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 dedicating a ton of time to my training plus work while also being stressed about having to entertain the kids all summer. Uh, And then the fall, 
I again, I view this summer as kind of maintenance and just kind of get through it. Mm-hmm. Don't get don't get too fat and uh, and unhealthy, and then I build back up during the fall once the kids go back to school. Once I'm done being, you know full-time dad and race director and coach and you know it's, it's a busy time of year so so for me it's like if my only activity during the day is pulling my kids behind a bike or pushing them in a stroller that's cool during the summer but then once they're back in school then it's time for me to like put my my racer hat on and, and I'm, I'm training again with more um specificity and um more focus uh and that, so that would be september October, November, and then I I'll, I typically do something, whether it's CIM or JFK, mm-hmm. or I did the treadmill challenge a couple years ago in early December for that same reason, because then I kind of just take, I don't have to worry about it over winter break when the kids are, again, they're, <laughs> we got yeah. six kids in the home during winter break, and it's not fair for me to be like, hey, honey, I'm going on a three-hour run, have fun with the kids, um, if, if I don't get a run in during the break, I'm okay with that, because it, it's just it's built in already. Um, so that's, that's how I map out my own training. I know that not everyone is in the same boat as me. Not everyone works from home or has as many kids as I, um, but that's, that's, those are the different factors that I take into account. Um, just maintaining that balance, the stress and rest, um, mentally and physically, it just, it isn't sustainable for me to try and push through. Like, why would I wake up at four in the morning? If you know, I've got kids waking up through the night anyway, that that's not going to actually help me mentally or physically feel Mm -hmm. better. Um, if I'm not actually able to be present with my kids or with, with my wife or, or with the athletes that I work with during the day. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of, um, you know, from your coaching perspective, um, I'm kind of intrigued and hopefully like people out there, um, interested as well. There's, there's obviously there's a whole bunch of different methods over the last 80 years, 70, 80 years that mm-hmm. kind of appeared in, in terms of like how you can, as a coach, you can structure, uh, mm-hmm. runner's training. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I, you know, as, as you know, better than me, it varies between coaching an individual versus a team and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, from an in- individual coaching perspective so you're just coaching mm-hmm. each person at a time and, and setting their plans um have you developed a philosophy over time in terms of how you like to think about periodization and um different elements that you you throw in like is yeah um so i would say that i've been influenced considerably by arthur lydiard probably more than anyone else um and i i would I would challenge anyone who says that they're a distance running coach in the last four decades who hasn't, who claims they're not influenced by Lydiard's philosophy. Um, and so Lydiard was a coach in New Zealand, coached some tremendous, at the time th- that, that black singlet was, that was as intimidating as, as a Kenyan singlet or, a um, or an Ethiopian singlet, like they dominated the distance running world. And, and it's actually where the running boom in, in America came from because Bill Bowerman went and saw what was happening down in New Zealand with Lydiard and brought it back to the, to the States. Um, so I do believe in an aerobic base for sure. Um, but I think one thing that people, uh, most people see or hear about the Lydiard approach, um, there's a hill phase and there's a, there's an aerobic base phase and, or an endurance phase and, um, a speed phase. Most people think that it, it's, um, 
mutually exclusive almost mm-hmm. that like all you do is slow running for x amount of time and then all you, or jogging and, and these kind it. of like hard blocks and, of, yeah these hard blocks and and yeah. it's a pyramid and, and and they just stack on top of each other and in reality i don't think it's periodization in the graphic sense that people have tried to illustrate it it's prioritization and so um and it's not linear and people think it is and and i think that's the trouble that people get into is that they get they 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 think that Lydiard was in a box and therefore they want to jump in the box with him. And it's like, no, 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 no. He had his 800 runners, Peter Snell, best 800 runner in the world doing 22 mile long runs through the hills of New Zealand. And most people would think, well, no, that would have just been during like the aerobic base phase. And it's like, no, like his guys were aerobically fit. And that's why they, when it came time to use that speed that they were focusing on during the speed phase, they had, they had speed to go because they were, they had the stamina. So um, similar to the conversation we had about Schumacher, he, everyone that is coaching is, is influenced by Lydiard's mm-hmm. approach. Um, but, but that triangle or that pyramid has been turned on its head where rather than doing aerobic or endurance base, some people say, and, and this is something that's more recent among the Africans, these Africans, where they do a speed phase early on, a speed mm-hmm. or a power phase where the, the strength would come in. And when I say strength, I don't mean stamina. Sometimes those terms are used interchangeably. I mean like actual muscular strength mm-hmm. in the weight room kind of thing. Um, they turn that on the head rather than that being the sharpening phase right before a race. They actually do a, an early uh, speed phase um, mm-hmm. with strides and fartlicks and things just to, to get that neuromuscular um, type of activation that my brother talked about in the previous uh, episode um, that he does on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um so that that's it's the same thing. It's the Lydiard philosophy, but it's just doing speed first, just to get that uh, that cadence and that efficiency going, that, and priming the body to be prepared so that you're not just trying to transform it from this slow, easy miles to all of a sudden doing sprints. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I would say that if I if I have adopted another person's philosophy, or if I've been more influenced by, by more one person than the other um brad hudson actually oh yeah um he's i would say he has ties to oregon as well um but um but brad hudson co-authored a book with uh matt fitzgerald who we Mm. mentioned before um called run faster um and and what he describes um his training philosophy is uh, non-linear basically he he describes it as you know it we're not just trying to peak once or twice a year. We're trying to be fit year round. He still recommends breaks in between really big goals, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, be it, be ready to run fast for the 5k, even as part of your buildup for the, for the marathon. That's not going to hurt mm-hmm. you. And that's how it used to be old school. Like I, I know we've talked about him before, but Alberto Salazar, I'm pretty sure he, 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 maybe set the world record for 10 K like two mm. weeks before he, he won Boston for the first time. Right. right. And, and in the same way, Jeffrey Camaro, like he mm. just won New York, but in route to winning New York, <laughs> yeah. he, he set the world record in the half marathon. And those are two different, very different events. But at the same time, he, yeah. if it's not going to hurt him to get really efficient and fast at the half marathon, that's going to, he was able to just use that speed <laughs> to just yeah. sit and drop everyone when it came time to go in New York. And, um, and I don't think that's just something that elites need to worry about. So, mm-hmm. so I would call it more prioritization than periodization. And so, uh, I think a long run should be part of 
uh, just about any week of training. Uh, mm. If you're training for an endurance event, whether it's a 5K, a 1500, or an ultra marathon, that long run should be the foundation to any um, any week of training or any block of training. Um, but I, I don't believe, except for in a transition period where you're just beginning like from zero back into running, I think all training should have uh, should touch on just about every energy system and um, you should touch on some strength you should touch on some speed you should include some hills and variation in terrain yeah to to to, to build the whole body to become an athlete not just a one-dimensional uh, marathoner or, yeah. or, or 5k runner yeah. and, and that makes sense to me as well um, definitely a lot of things you just mentioned uh, I'm kind of nodding my head and, and I totally <laughs> agree because I'm seeing it from the other side of the um, from, from a parallel perspective which is um, yeah, keeping the person injury free, mm-hmm. like for that for that entire block through to the race, and um, and and if you do bring in some of those elements early on, um, so some high neuromuscular recruitment type of running uh, through strides and other things, like for me that's like fantastic because if someone just went out and just like slogged through the winter, just doing like low pace runs all the time, mm-hmm. almost just kind of like. Yeah, just kind of getting rooted in a in a, in a narrow pace range mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Uh, for injury prevention, that's not great at all, because <laughs> we need in the same way that you're looking at developing the metabolic systems and, and the cardiovascular system. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'll be looking at um, the mechanical system mm-hmm. um, and, and neuromuscular um, components as well. And um, yeah, when the ground is sloppy, your form's going to be sloppy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you do that every single day, yeah. you're going to get hurt, or That's you're just going to develop some really bad habits that will right. then create uh, exactly that. Yeah, you do, you do, the body gets lazy really, uh, really easy. Mm-hmm. So when um, when, you, when if someone was to get rooted in, in a, just a long, um, long easy run um, a stretch of training all the time, uh, what will happen is that once the body's done it a few times. Um, the brain realizes, like I can, I can achieve the goal here, and get through this run mechanically, and probably switch off, you know, another ten percent of the the muscles and still do it. Mm-hmm. When the body goes down that path, it starts to <laughs> it starts to cut corners like that. Um, then you lose, you ultimately lose stability in key parts of the body, and um, and that's when you can start overworking structures you shouldn't be overworking in them. Um, head down a path towards um, overuse injuries um, for muscles that aren't even properly the propulsion muscles you should be you should be switching on so um, the great thing about things like strides are you bring it in like early on mm-hmm. um, from my perspective is um, you have you, you keep that connection to those motor units um, from the uh, nervous system into the motor units that um, if that pathway is ready to go mm-hmm. then you can use it at any time it's kind of primed it's almost like um, so I was listening to um and, and learning from a guy, Renato Canova, right? fantastic yeah. marathon coach. Well, and, and I'm sorry, uh, Brad Hudson. Much of what he does comes from Canova. Yeah. And, so and, and if, that, that 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 uh, that pyramid or that paradigm, it's a Canova thing of, yeah. of really doing that short, fast stuff early on. Right. And uh, if you can understand what he's saying, like through the thick, heavy Italian <laughs> accent and all the complicated terminology, he often talks about this idea of a gun, basically. And the, you know, the athlete's body is kind of a gun, so you've got you've got like a magazine full of rounds, and uh, the idea is to like load load them into the chamber, ready to go, and um, 
and yeah, like let's say it's a double barrel shotgun instead or whatever, you can have, or even like a revolver, you know, and it's got like, it's like I, Russian I just roulette. want to say, Malik, I know we're in Canada, <laughs> and so you're you're like worried about talking about guns, but you got to remember, I'm from the rural yeah. United States. Like I, yeah. I grew up with guns, so I, I'm not afraid of, uh, yeah. I don't, I actually don't own a gun, um, but I... I'm not afraid of guns. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm used to. I've shot plenty of guns, so. <laughs> so really including ready. shotguns. So yeah. so yeah, and so the idea is like, um, and, and Canova put it quite funnily because he has like an Italian way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But um, um, for a particular branch of the nervous system that comes into a particular uh, muscle area, then you can have motor units um, within that area of muscle, and um, and when we talk about something like recruitment, for example that's engaging more of that uh, muscle fiber, more of those motor units, like simultaneously. That's mm -hmm. like higher recruitment. And um, But your body has to know, it has to have the key to unlock the door to those motor units. Mm -hmm. So if you did like two or more months of just very easy, hey, I'm just doing like aerobic base building, mm -hmm. uh, and that's all you ever do. Mm -hmm. um, basically what happens is you don't have that that key, the, un the key code or whatever that unlocks mm -hmm. those doors. Or in the sense, you don't have rounds in the chamber, like mm -hmm. ready to go, ready mm -hmm. to fire, and um, and so that's bad, obviously, from from speed development from your perspective as a coach. But mm -hmm. from my perspective, it's bad as well because if somebody comes up against some kind of a challenge in a run, whether it's a steep hill, whether it's like some extra fatigue, they run into the wind for like an hour or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't have that ability to go, and they deplete motor units one and two, but they don't have the ability to go to number three and four because mm -hmm. they haven't developed that pathway properly. Then um, that leaves them exposed, essentially. Yeah. 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 But and um, I would say maybe not even just doing a challenge in terms of a race. Um, I think sometimes that that first sunny day of <laughs> spring yeah. can be a challenge because people will get really excited and it's like, oh, I'm, mm. I can pull some layers off, and um, all of a sudden I'm I'm going to really push because I'm feeling good. And if they don't realize that they've been running slow for two or three months even on that, that first day back, they, they could pull something. Um, I will add one ca caveat. I, I, I really do try to tailor the training that I do mm. for each individual. And so if someone does come from, uh, it has an injury history, especially with an Achilles or a calf or a lower leg injury, I, I will likely not have them do strides, um, until they, we've, we've, done some other preventative stuff to, to build up um, strength wise um, mm. where they can handle that type of intensity. Yeah. I, in my own training, I have excluded them for the last couple of years because of just other, either the weather hasn't allowed me to, or I've been, I've been focusing on something else um, like injury prevention wise, like trying to build mm. more durability that it just, the risk didn't, uh, or the, the re risk outweighed the reward um, mm. or potential reward um, but yes theoretically strides should come before the, the one minute you know a stride of a 20 to 30 seconds at a high intensity or even as Canova would say mm. in Brad Hudson the 8 to 10 seconds yeah. uh, or 8 to 12 second um, short hill sprints mm. those are huge and I would yeah. strongly recommend them for people that can do them yeah. as many as two to three times a week yeah um, but that's with full recovery in between and sure. that's working a really explosive system yeah. Um, but that's one of the things that I, I personally think that Brad Hudson still doesn't get enough credit for um, Dathan Ritzenhine's success. Mm. Uh, Dathan ran for Brad right out of college at the University of Colorado mm. and yeah. and then 
because I think due to a contract with Nike and Salazar was creating this group, he needed to go with Nike to get the pay raise. Um, and, and he was quite durable under Hudson and was mm. quite strong. And they, they attribute a lot of that just to those, those short hill sprints that they did a couple times a week. Yeah. He had suffered from, um, multiple femoral stress fractures right, and yeah. they were able to address that, um, just by doing those short hill sprints. I, I know they yeah. spent some time in the weight room and things, but, but sure. that's something that Dathan yeah. won't, won't deny either. And, and is... shortly thereafter, like within months, he broke the American record in the in the 5K. Yeah. Even though he yeah. was training for a marathon, on this non-linear training, mm. he was fit because yeah. he was, he was always, I mean, he was Dathan. He's one of the most talented runners in the world, period, ever. Yeah. And certainly in America. But he he was able to go from marathon training to breaking the American, breaking 13 minutes in the 5K in large part because he, uh, they were doing some of this, uh, the short, fast stuff, all times of year. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, one of like from from my side of the fence, um, one one of the things that's so key about about that is um, again like you're doing like short um, hill sprints and like you say kind of walking back again to the start in between mm-hmm. each one. Yeah. And um, so the recovery actually lasts longer than the sprint. Yeah, and that's yeah. one thing that people. <laughs> Don't don't wrap their head around. It's like it was like eight to ten seconds of really hard running, and then maybe a minute or more of recovery, so that you actually mm. catch your breath, and then that's the only way it works. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so what's really cool about that, um, and its importance is uh, ultimately there's there's a lot of power involved there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's strength as well. It depends how many um, how many repetitions you're going to do. So mm-hmm. you've got both the strength and power, a coordination part of it, and all that kind of stuff. And so again, that's like a great example of where. You're basically going beyond necessary capacity for that 12 seconds, such that when you go out and do two hours for your long run, then in a neuromuscular sense, you're so far below your max capacity mm-hmm. that you can hold um, proper form, good running gait for very little effort. And um, that's the beauty of that because you've, during each those hill sprints, you've, you've been forced to recruit, again, a ton of muscle, really switch on the nervous system, send a strong electrical signal to the muscles to innovate, um, coordinate all of that stuff together as well at high speed. And that gives you this massive capacity if you if you, if you do that every now and then. And that's where that, that comes into its own in that last like half an hour or more of your long run mm-hmm. when you're real tired <laughs> and you've got a few more rollers or a few more hills left before the end. Yeah. And people can start to break down form. You know, and um, I'm sure you've seen, I've seen, you know, if you're driving a car or riding a bike with a group or a runner and you see people starting to break form, the hips start to sag back, the knees start to flex, all this kind of stuff. Ground contact time gets long. <laughs> and it's like those form, classic form breaks are because they're basically gassed out because they're um, during the earlier part of the run, they didn't have enough headroom between their max capacity and where they were operating at that time. And you can bump up that headroom that by bumping up the max, max capacity, doing exactly what you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, but I guess if we're going to be talking about doing some of that intense, short, fast work, uh, the the season or the the weather may may impede runners from doing that. And so people have asked um, questions about you know, what, what can they do if they are experiencing a true winter, whether it's, is there a certain type of equipment or, or should they cross train? Are there other things that they can do during this time of year to, to manage the, to stay fit and to build yeah. a base, um, to, to work on these weaknesses, 
so I, I, I often say, you know, if, if it's so cold outside that, or if it's too dark outside, um, it's okay to do some work inside, whether that's in a gym or even in, in your own home. Um, I, I really like the foundation series that you and I created. Yeah, we did a yeah. video series of um, some things that I, I recommend that my athletes do ideally before every run, but at least two or three times a week. Um, and it really can just be a 10 to 15 minute routine. If that, um, if you just do one set of 15, just as an activation before, and then, you know, that, that can include some rolling, um, both with the lacrosse ball under the foot, um, rolling out the calves, rolling out the glutes, the hamstrings. Um, but then it, it goes into doing some, some clamshells and, and some, some other work to activate, um, you know, the glutes and, and, and these major players in the, in the running, um, some walking lunges and overhead walking lunges and, um, squats and, um, some isometric stuff with the, the calf raises and things. So there, there's a lot of, we'll, we'll definitely put some, some links to those different videos. I believe it's nine different videos, eight different yeah, exercises. Right. Um, yeah. and we'll, I, I would strongly recommend doing that and, and making that more part of the routine at this time of year. It's easier yeah. to establish a habit now because you can That's do that right. indoors. If nothing else, just to warm your body up before you go outside, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and the other part of that as well is, um, is, is uh, as, as we both know, and as coaches know for sure, it's much harder to to get to a level mm-hmm. of fitness, strength, whatever it is, than it is to maintain it. And so that's part of it as well. So if, if at this time of the year you're doing less running mileage, mm-hmm. um, but you've got the time to do, say, three, three, three uh, gym strength type uh, sessions in a week, mm-hmm. yeah, go for that now. Because once you get to a certain level, Mm-hmm. of competence with these exercises whether it's a split squat or whether it's a single leg deadlift or whatever on earth it is to maintain that later on in february march whenever it doesn't require as much time and as many sessions anymore mm-hmm. and in fact actually from my experience working other sports before and training people often you can just have one session a week then to maintain the same level yeah once that level's been built so that's kind of one of the reasons yeah like now's a really good time to to, to get after it yeah yeah if you've um if you've diminished your volume or or dropped it to zero and then you're as you're building it back up this is something to you know if, you, if you're already used to budgeting you know x amount of time to exercise you can supplement the running with some of these other activities um i'm still in marathon you know peak taper mode um but i i got on the treadmill yesterday and um I I'm, I should say I actually slipped on some ice and fell down some stairs two or three days ago and like still kind of bruised and banged up a little bit and so um, not ideal uh, you know a week and a <laughs> half before um, a marathon but I, I the same day I still was able to knock out a decent uh, long run on the treadmill but I just figure you know if, if that's on on some steps that I had just recently swept <laughs> I still fell. Um, I, I don't want to risk it. And so I probably will do the majority of my running from here on out on the treadmill, just in part because it's sub zero in part. I don't want to spend the time layering up and then taking the layers off and doing all the laundry and all the rest. Yeah. Um, but the other piece is, um, I, I, I do want to make sure that I'm ready for a harder surface and, and the faster turnover and stuff. Um, and I don't mind being inside at a temperature that's closer to what my race temperature is going to be at as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's some real polar, 
polar opposite opinions on the treadmill as we we, we briefly touched on many many episodes ago yeah, yeah. and uh, we're, we're both believers in the treadmill and i think <laughs> it's my opinion but i think everyone should be a believer in the treadmill yeah um, i mean I, I i totally recognize why people would prefer to be outside even if it's dark and they've got to wear a headlamp and stuff like that it, it's nice to have fresh air and i i so I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that they're wrong to choose to do sure. that but it, especially if you are trying to train for something specific or even like you mentioned even if it's a couple times a week just getting a little bit more turnover mm. that's a value of um running on a treadmill but anyway i tried to hop on the treadmill yesterday and like i was so tired that i just yeah. like i was just okay i'm not gonna i can't do this so I hopped on a bike. Like I, I hopped on the trainer for forty-five minutes, and and probably uh, I, I may have rode, I may have ridden a little bit further than I could have gone in the same amount of time on the treadmill. But I just wasn't feeling great. But I still sure. wanted to spin my legs out and recover from the long run uh, the day before. So um, I, I I feel like too often um, people runners feel like we're one dimensional and we're only good at one thing. And so you're afraid to just jump on a bike, you know, or or throw on a pair of skis. Um, I'm, I'm not coordinated. I didn't grow up skiing and I have, um, I saw a picture of you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you were on one knee. Yeah. (laughs) With with the skis, um, crossing one another. But, um, I, I have turned down a couple invitations thus far to go skiing, but I, I promise that once the race is over, I'll go skiing or I actually really love ice skating with the kids and they love it too. So there are some things that we can do during the winter that, you know, may keep us moving. Um, but, uh, but you just kind of have to, again, it's a risk reward thing, but my recommendation is to, is to move and to try and reduce injury (laughs) or the risk of injury. Um, but also, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be running. Um, and, and so I feel like just this buildup, I've done the, the foundation series more than I had in the previous buildup. And I, I'm healthier than I was for my buildup in, for my last goal race in May. And I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, that things will go well, even, even with things that are kind of out of my control, slipping and falling. Um, I still feel like I'm healthier now, um, in part because of that foundation series. And, and I've actually, because it's been helping me as much as it has, even, even though I know that it's good, we, we created it, <laughs> we, we published it. Um, uh, that's true though. Cause every now and then you have to remind yourself that you do know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, no. So, so if my athletes are wondering how come it's on their schedule more often than it once was, it's because it, it's that important. And, um, yeah. so ideally it's something that we do before, uh, to activate things, but it's something I do at least the rolling piece and some of the other, like the clamshells and things I do it after, um, like, you know, or watching TV or I'm just kind of, the kids are in bed and I've got a few minutes to myself. I'll, I'll do some of that just before bed and it seems to help the next day as well. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's interesting, the topic of cross training, clearly there are parts of the world where you can live and you don't need to cross train. Yeah. Uh, so if you're in like Mex- California and Chile and Mexico. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. They could, uh, wherever those places are. Um, and then you've got places like where we live and there's a whole bunch of snow across mm-hmm. Northern us right now mm-hmm. where then it's not like oh i'm just gonna go and run outside because you know it's plus 10 or plus 20 that's not the case mm-hmm. and then the, then the question comes like what to do uh can run outside and run on snow maybe slightly icy uh probably have to run a bit slower mm-hmm. um be concentrating with my eyeballs popping out mm-hmm. that i don't uh, fall over yeah it's probably right. going to be dark unless you have right. the luxury of being able to kind of run any time of day that you want. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, besides in certain niche snow conditions, I don't believe it's possible to run a really convincing full-on workout on snow and ice. 
I mean, because you just can't, right? I mean, unless, I mean, unless you've got like studded shoes potentially, <laughs> which we can spin off on as well. Yeah. So then people come, people basically look out the window and they're like, "What we're going to do?" So what we're saying is, options are you can brave it outside, but your workout's probably not going to be full intent. You can jump on a treadmill if you've got access to a treadmill, and then what you're saying is you can also jump into a different sport <laughs> and have a go at that. <laughs> First thing people are going to say is, Jacob. If I go, if I if I go and ride a bike, I can't get my heart rate up high enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if I go and uh, cross country ski, I, I, my body's not getting the impacts and and dealing with that and, and you know rebounding off the ground. Mm-hmm. How do you rationalise that as a coach? Like, how do you? Um, there... I, again, I think it comes <laughs> back to priorities rather than um, period, so to speak. So. If, if the goal or the objective of that run or of that phase of training is just aerobic base, then it really doesn't matter. You can do it on a bike. You could do it in a pool. I think I think pools are way underutilized um, year-round, both as a recovery modality, but also I think you can boost your endurance quite a bit by swimming more. Um, and I, I think you can actually reduce injury by spending more time in water. <laughs> Whether it's just, you know, sitting in water or, or I mean, I just the last couple of days I've been treading water, pushing my kids around on the floaty. I love going to the pool or the hot tub after uh, like a public place. Not, not, we don't have a pool or a hot tub in our house, but um, like, I love, I love taking the kids afterwards and, and just treading water. That's a really good form of recovery. It's aerobic, but I think it, I feel like it really helps my hips and it, it's a good form of injury prevention. Um, so if the goal is just, it's an aerobic day or it's a, you know, uh, endurance day, then I really don't think it matters that much, especially if it's in the base phase. Um, if it, and and really, you know, like beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> Pick the best option. If your goal is, you know, you've had a really stressful day at work or at home, or and you just need to get outside. You've been inside all day. I totally get that. You need to get outside. You need some pressure. Then do something that's going to allow you to have, get pressure. You you can get studded tires on a bike. You can get you can get a fat bike. Um, or you can you can put micro spikes on your shoes, and this is something again. I I grew up in one of those mild climates. Like winter clothing for me was short shorts and a long sleeve cotton t shirt. So cotton t shirts that were long sleeve rather than no shirt was like winter. Um, I didn't own a pair of tights until I went to university and like actually experienced winter in the Rockies. Um, so. Um, yeah, it, 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 but it really does depend. But if you're actually trying to do a workout, I. I I think it's hard to beat a treadmill, um, including, you know, if that means getting a membership to a gym and yeah. as inconvenient as that can be driving from where you're at. Um, I think if people do the math, a membership, if you do an annual membership to a gym, that often costs as much as a treadmill just for that one year. If mm-hmm. not, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a long-term investment, then you can invest in a, in a more expensive treadmill if, if that's a priority. Um, and that's a question that we... I'm only mentioning it not because I'm pro treadmill, but just today I received two questions specific that asked me to address this question on the show. So, um, I, it really does depend on what you're looking for. Um, it may be a greater value, you know, if you're in a smaller condo or if you don't have a garage or if you don't have an extra room or something like that. And if you do have more than one person living in your home with you, uh, whether that's kids or uh, roommate or, or spouse or partner or whatever, um, there may not be space for a treadmill. Um, some mm, of them have yeah. a really high platform. Um, 
so the ceiling may be too low in in a lot of places um, yeah. unless it's you know just an, an eight foot ceiling wouldn't work for me in most with most treadmills these days um, do you have the space even just the length um, to put a treadmill into your house um, yeah they yeah. can be pretty big in that respect they can also be really really heavy so you're gonna yeah. order a treadmill um yeah. do you have a crew of people that can help you move it um or when you move are you going to hire people to help you move it because it's not a one or two person job it's a multi-person and yeah. especially if we're talking runners it's like you need a whole cross-country team to help you move a treadmill and even then yeah I'd, I'd ask the football team to come and help too you know um so it's a it's a it's a big undertaking just to assemble a treadmill and just to put mm. one in. So unless it, 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 unless you really do feel like you will use it, I don't, I being honest, I don't think it's worth purchasing um, or unless you have someone to help you assemble it and stuff like that. Um, but if, if you find that you're going to the gym a lot and you're using the treadmill a lot yeah. and you have the space and a desire, then, then yeah, it, it, yeah. Do you want it to fold up? Do you want it to be one that like you have your own room dedicated, you have your own personal gym kind of thing? There, there are a lot of different considerations to take mm. into account. You know, do you want it to be uh, like the Woodway treadmills that that um, it's almost like it's a tire surface? It's a really thick, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it it moves um, kind of like a caterpillar type belt, um, or do you want it to be? Um, or like a snowmobile type belt kind of thing, um, or do you want it to be just your traditional treadmill on on a piece of uh, particle board, basically, or plastic that you're running on mm. with the belt that spins? Um, do you want it to be a curved treadmill? Do you want yeah. it to be able to access some of the apps and and adjust with the altitude, uh, you know, so you can run with Tommy and Zach? Yeah, do you want, I was going to say, do you want Tommy? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. So there really are a lot of factors, um, and mm. then there are some good companies out there. Um, and I've even with some of the top brands, I I have personally, and I'm I'm a big guy relative to East Africans, but I I'm probably lighter than your average American male. Um, and I have I have split the the platform of I think more than one treadmill. I've broken mm. treadmills at gyms. I've broken my own personal treadmills, and they're they're not fun to assemble and disassemble and move. They're mm. even harder to fix, yeah. <laughs> especially if you're me. So th th so they they can be yeah. they can be a lot of work. Just being honest, and that's that's with yeah. a with a name brand treadmill that I I. I completely I was like man I'm pronating a lot and then I was like nope <laughs> there's a line right down the middle of my treadmill and the the platform is totally just split in half and and that's I've never weighed more than 175 pounds and I was probably 155 to 160 at that point so I'm, I'm heavy like I, I I'm pretty hit the ground I, heavy, I, yeah. I, like I hit the ground pretty hard but and yeah. I have big feet but I um, I know that some of our listeners probably have my body type or, or might even be a little bit bigger. So yeah. just, those are some things to keep in mind. Yeah. 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 I'd be wary of like, um, you know, kind of like from my experience, I didn't even, I, in Canadian dollars, I'd be wary of anything that's brand new and less than a thousand Canadian dollars. Basically. Um, that's generally kind of a cutoff for me, like, which is about uh, 750 US. Yeah. About seven, seven, yeah, yeah, seven, exactly. Seven fifty. Yeah. Uh, obviously if it's secondhand, it's different than you, you know, yeah. paying secondhand prices. But, um, uh, I mean, just to, um, yeah, just to kind of add into that a little bit, the, the conventional, um, front motor belt treadmill, tension belt treadmill you, you're sort of uh, describing, um, yeah, it does come with a bit of maintenance. So you have to lubricate the belt every so often. You have to make sure the belt's aligned to the center, tightening the bolts on the left and right hand side. 
they're fundamentally flawed because the motor's at the front. So the weight distribution is quite awful. If you ever pick up the back, you'll find it super light. If you pick up the front, it's like impossible to pick up almost. Yeah. And some of them can fold. Some of them, right. like if, if you're, they're not as, as high, they're not as durable, but I, right. I actually have had a couple of those that can fold. They're a little bit easier to move. They have some, sometimes they'll have wheels on the front yeah. that you can unlock, but they're still yeah. really heavy regardless. The, the motor itself is quite heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So what that means is, um, if you have, if you have, a, if you have, um, uh, massively like asymmetric weight distribution and and um, and movement and, and torque distribution like on a, on a piece of equipment anyone who's a mechanic knows that's a problem because things preferentially wear out in certain places um, so that's kind of one of the problems one of the reasons why conventional standard treadmills um, the components will tend to sort of wear out faster um, the boards the boards shouldn't really wear out unless you blow fuse or something else but some of the other stuff can um, uh, some of the other components in there can wear out. So the mo the drive motor, for example, um, uh, resistors that are, on that are underneath there can can burn out, and you have to get new ones. And then, of course, the classic thing is just switching switching the belt out when the belt's warm. Um, so one of the beauties of going for a, <laughs> a very luxury uh, um, uh, slap belt uh, caterpillar type treadmill um, is that generally the the motor is not at the front for um, for logistical space reasons and the weight distribution is then better um, so the front and the rear of the treadmill weigh the same and um, and because there isn't a tension uh, it's not a tension belt system with a drive just at the front um, so uh, generally that means that the belt uh, moves more smoothly you don't have to keep tightening the belt all the time the belt doesn't have to keep tracking down the middle because it will automatically do that because it's held within some teeth so that kind of stuff uh, generally means that they they're almost maintenance free those kind of treadmills uh, but you've got to pay more money for them, <laughs> substantially more money. <laughs> Up front, yeah. um, And then, yeah, you, you mentioned the curve treadmills. Uh, they've become really popular in what, the last uh, four years, probably. Mm -hmm. um, if we go back like five, six years, um, they, they rarely existed, barely at all. Woodway hardly even brought out the curve at that point. And um, buddy of mine, Jeff, um, had just started making the first true forms. and So it was really brand new. But the last four years, they've really taken off, especially with CrossFit gyms. They've gone huge in CrossFit gyms. Hmm. Um, or kind of fitness studios. I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology nowadays. <laughs> but let's call them fitness studios. Yeah, so those have taken off. Um, yes, yeah, so you've got no motor. So you've got almost no maintenance at all, really. Sometimes you have to lubricate, but not really that much. Um, they're lighter because the motor weight isn't there anymore. Um, they're generally more compact as well, so front to back they're not as long, because it's all about the curve rather than the length. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so and they're kind of like moderately expensive, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit expensive, but not too bad. Yeah, so it's, uh, I'll be wary on those though. Uh, don't buy the real cheap curved treadmills because they have a lot of uh, momentum in the belt, and you can test it out in a store. If you get on, run for a bit, jump off the treadmill. If it keeps spinning, like two, three revolutions more. There's too much uh, momentum in the belt. Some of the cheap ones are like that. Uh, you want you want the belt to pretty much stop pretty quick after you jump off it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the curved ones. Uh, I've had mixed experiences by with an indoor running mode on my watch. That seems to be when it's most accurate, in large part because I, I feel like I'm actually having to put a little bit more of it's a it's a more full body workout almost. It, like it, yeah, it's yeah. the closest thing to running on a treadmill is running. That's not to say that running on a treadmill, mm. you know, the traditional treadmill, it can't be effective. Um, I've mentioned before, um, I trained almost exclusively on a treadmill for my first marathon and, and ran 
surprisingly well, um, even though my training really wasn't perfect or even yeah. specific to a, to a marathon other than I just tried to run as much as I could. Um, yeah. and, and I was still able to run faster than the pace that I trained <laughs> at for the whole marathon. Um, and I, I, especially now living in Alberta, I, I do quite a bit more training on a treadmill, but even when I lived in some of those milder places, um, in part because of the darkness, you know, in the winters, especially, um, I'd, I'd wear lights and things and, um, and even vests, reflective vests, but I, I used to, um, even during the fall, uh, so it wasn't even winter yet, but when I was coaching cross country, um, this was early fall too, um, mm. but school was pretty early, school would start early, and so we had like early morning practices and afternoon practices, and, and I had a, one of my athletes get hit by a car in a crosswalk wearing a reflective vest. So like so a group of runners is going across the crosswalk and, and some people just aren't paying attention. They're wow. just not looking for runners. And yeah. um, so we were trying to run on routes that were like well lit and wide shoulders and or sidewalks. And um, it, this was just trying to get in the early miles before school. And then we'd have our real workouts or the harder runs, longer runs later in the day. Mm-hmm. And bless her heart, you know, I, I ended up, I think I missed my first period that I was supposed to be teaching that day because I was in the ER with one of my athletes who got picked up by an ambulance who just got, you know, pinned under the tire of a car. And, like, that's awful for everyone. Mm. The, the athlete, the driver, the parents, the, you know, it was awful. So I, I after that, um, I just said, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to subject the kids to that. And I'm also, um, even for my own safety and training, I did a lot of, I, I've run in the mornings pretty much from the time I was 14 years old. And, uh, like my brother discussed, like, love it. It's a good way to start the day, but, um, it just wasn't worth it to me to, to either slip on black ice, uh, when you wouldn't see it. Um, you know, I, I've done that before or, um, so I, I got a membership to a gym, even though like I, I, I think I got a membership to a gym, even though I had a treadmill in my own house, but it was just, sometimes it was a little bit more convenient to just be like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going out, mm, <laughs> still yeah. going for a run, yeah. taking a, a break. And, and yeah. I justified it. Um, I didn't, I didn't have cable. I've never paid for cable in my life, but I, I justified it in that I was going to go and run for an hour and I was going to catch up on the news and watch the various cable channels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So that was, that was how I justified not having cable <laughs> and paying for a gym membership. So there are a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, I do now have a treadmill in our house and it is more convenient. Um, cause like I mentioned before, um, I don't even think I left the house during the month of February last winter because it was so cold. <laughs> and you, you have your treadmill in the garage, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is interesting because I'm right that the garage is kind of temperatures halfway between outside and in the house. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And I find that really interesting because um, where I've subjected people to a lot of treadmill running mm-hmm. myself in, in like lab conditions, clinic, mm-hmm. whatever. The funny th- the thing about a treadmill, of course, is that you basically run inside your own ball of heat yeah. and hot air of course because you're yeah. not moving yeah um so you kind of like the air just kind of surrounds you then that mm-hmm. you that you kind of um, push out there yeah um so top tip and i guess you'd agree on this like it, people at home running on a treadmill at home <laughs> buy a fan or get some ventilation <laughs> absolutely yeah and, and some treadmills do come with fans but but they're often yeah. not strong enough like um 
I know when I ran in Orlando for the, the convention, like we had the fan on the, on the treadmill, but we had right, two yeah. or three fans on me as well. Cause it was, yeah. even though it was an expo and it was, it was probably, it, you know, it was December and it was mild for Orlando at the time indoors. I mean, I was, people were like, Oh, you're such an exhibitionist. You're running with your shirt off. I was like, <laughs> Nope, I'm just trying to stay cool. And, uh, you know, I was pouring water all over my, just to yeah. stay cool. But the fans yeah. really helped like large fans. Cause I've seen that, like, um, I've seen people really get shut down like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, where people have, for whatever reason, I don't know, I've been the kind of monitoring somebody doing an hour or two hours on the treadmill, quite a serious workout as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they, once the, uh, you know, once the deep brain, once the, <laughs> uh, sort of hypothalamus area like decides, uh, body temperature's got a little bit too high here, yeah. you know, obviously it starts to regulate, um, mm-hmm. energy expenditure and, and force output, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person just starts really flagging. And they're like, but I can do that, but I should be holding like this pace. And they can't because they're just overheated, essentially. Like, yeah, um, yeah. No, I think that's definitely true. Um, we did, um, when I first got the treadmill that I have, uh, we lived in Calgary and, and we had it indoors. We didn't have room in our garage and we did have room in our basement for it. Um, but we're now in a smaller home um, and an older home that just doesn't have, I mean, I think the ceilings that we're in right now, this is like an old storage room converted into like a, <laughs> an office, so to speak, uh, or maybe this was the crawl space. Um, but uh, so there just isn't room here in the basement. Um, but in the garage, we do have a, a very rudimentary heater and it is oh, yeah. insulated, but I, I try and keep it at a, I, I want it to feel kind of chilly when i right. go out there um, yeah. but i still usually run with a i usually end up taking my shirt off by the time i'm and amy's out there you know running a sports bra so it, it, it it's warm enough but it's not so cold that you know the joints are achy and things to start like it yeah yeah it's nice to kind of get a mix the, yeah. the one other thing that i would say um because i have had to do some of my either my key workouts and or long runs um on the treadmill for this block and most blocks um just because it's going to be cold and snowy at some point um, during any big build um, is that it, it really is a good opportunity to practice fueling. I feel like that's one, oh, of, the, right, one yeah. of the biggest issues that people have um, in, in training. They don't mm. want to carry, you know, a bladder um, for their long runs or they don't want to carry two bottles or they don't want to carry all their gels or whatever they might possibly use in a, in a race scenario. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm not saying for every long run you should do it on the treadmill, but if, if you're struggling to figure out how to effectively practice your fueling, I can set out two water bottles, one with electrolyte drink, one with just water. Yeah. I can set towels out to wipe my head. I can, I can set up kind of a, a whole smorgasbord just in the mm. little tiny, you know, mm. areas there. Um, so I can have my gels or I can whatever salt caps, whatever I choose to, you know, a Lara bar, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, to kind of get me through and, and I kind of like being able to have that readily available and not having Mm. to stop and fidget around with my short pocket or with my, um, yeah, yeah. With, with my, my pack. And at the same time, yeah, some of the apps that, um, you know, I, I have been training on the, the Boston treadmill, treadmill, um, which they don't even make anymore, but like I've been running yeah. essentially that course or I can watch a preview of the CIM course while I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'm not super techie and I don't, but I like that it, it actually does move with the course. Awesome. And so it, yeah. this is, I'm, I'm doing the Boston course again because it, it helps prepare me for the undulation that I'll experience at CIM. Hopefully, you know, and one of the things I've been talking to my brother about is like, 
we get excited when we're actually like hammered for the next like two or three days after a, a long or a hard workout like that that we actually do feel the need to roll out and like oh man I'm, my legs are feeling it because it's like if i can do that enough before mm. the big race mm. then i can handle it on race day you know mm. like if, if i can actually yeah. like <laughs> break my body down and then build it back up give it time to build back up then it will be durable on race day versus you know get to like 25k or 16 miles and oh man what am i going to do for the next 10 miles my legs are bricks you know um mm. if i can do that enough in training once or twice a week um then yeah I'm, then i'm prepared and, and i feel like doing that on the treadmill i've been able to go faster and kind of hammer harder than I could, especially outside with this, with multiple layers, with traction on my shoes, with, um, it, but it's just so icy out there and so cold that it, it just would be ineffective um, to, to try and get that kind of quality training in. So, yeah. yeah. And CIM for you, that's not this weekend, this weekend after. Is that right? Yeah. By the time this drops, it'll probably be that this right weekend. at that point yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah have you run you've run the race before i never have no oh yeah no um eric who we've mentioned before um eric ray is uh, one of our friends and colleagues um yeah he he that was the first time he broke 230 so he ran uh -huh. a couple years ago yeah um, yeah and um and my brother hasn't run it either but, oh wow um it just seems to be the race um it's a good qualifier for boston it's a good qualifier for the olympic trials like i, I just received um the email for the elite entries or whatever they're going to let me place bottles which is always really nice that you know you can you can drink what you want to drink and not whatever the sponsor drink is going to be on course unless that's the thing you really like um so i can actually put what i want in my bottles so no excuses there i actually have to do it um but they've they've been really accommodating and um, yeah. it looks like there's probably well two pages worth of, of people going for the olympic trials qualifier on the men's side and on the women's side so yeah uh, we'll be in good company and at least you know get pulled won't have to do all the work by ourselves which yeah. is nice so yeah yeah we did want to mention is that uh and, and and we've kind of touched on is that this is the time of year where people do begin to start um reflecting and thinking about what they want to do in the next year what what races they want to do um how to place those races um there are a couple services that you and i offer um whether you live in the area where we live or not uh, much of what we do can and is done remotely um so um, in malk's case malk offers remote gate analysis and and so you can you can um go to run physics that's r-u-n-f-i-s-i-x and you can you can uh, pay for a remote gate analysis um unless you want to come and see malk personally in his clinic um uh which you're also welcome to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, if you live outside the area, um, you can you can use some of the RunScribe um, sensors that Malk helped develop, and he can send those to you, and, and then the agreement is just that you'll ship them back. So he'll cover shipping on the way out, you'll pay for it on the way back. Um, and we get a couple of those a week, it seems like, um, from all over the world. People yeah. wanting to, um, right. to get your expertise uh, and review of, of their mechanics. Um, you, um, you can also reach out to me, um, at peak run performance. Um, and I can, uh, I, I take coaching calls. Um, so it, let's say you don't want a, a training plan per se, but I, I just had a conversation the other day with, um, uh, a woman who is, um, wanted to talk about periodization, something we've been talking about, but wants to figure mm -hmm. out how to, how to structure her training so she can do a track season and then trail running in the summer so spring track 
uh, trail running in the summer and then cross country in the fall. So like traditional <laughs> stuff, but, but it was also really cool that, that a, like an adult is still, um, yeah, cause you think of that as like, that's, oh, that's like college high school kids, and college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, but it was, it was, it was refreshing that it's someone who loves to run and wants yeah. to mix it up. And I actually felt like it was a really healthy thing and we were able to talk about some of these things. And mm-hmm. so, um, you can sign up to do a, a 45 minute coaching call, um, with me through the site. Um, it, that is during my business hours, you know, as I've mentioned, have family and kids. And so try and do that <laughs> during the, um, during the office hours. Um, or, you know, I, I do write tailored training plans as do, um, uh, Manu who's been on the show and as does Eric, um, and so if you're trying to kind of get things in order, um, you know, Eric can do that in English and Spanish. Manu can do it in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Um, I can do it in English or Spanish. I'll probably pass you off to one of them if you want it in Spanish, though, because they're just that much better. Um, or if there's a specific race that you're, um, you're training for, you know, um, they're both really experienced at both ultras and, and uh, marathons and other events. But um, this is the time of year where we... Um, where people start thinking about it, but we often don't get these inquiries or the requests until like the day before new year, like on new year's Eve, we get a lot of requests. And so if this is something you're interested in, or if this is something you want to gift to your, that special runner in your life, um, feel free to reach out, um, and go through either one of our sites. Um, we'd be happy to help, but, uh, at least on my end, it usually takes me, two to three weeks turnaround from the time that we initiate that process to actually get what you need. And so if what you're wanting is like a drop dead January 1st start date, um, then we need to get moving pretty quick. Um, just because it, it does take some time and, and this is a busy time of year for us. And we do again, have families and holidays as well to attend to. So, um, we want to help you with as many uh, of your goals as we can. And, and that's, that's what we love to do. Um, but we just wanted to give, we want to ask you to give us a little bit of lead time so that we can best serve you and help you reach your goals. Yeah. Um, I think on, on the gate analysis side, like, uh, normally for remote gate, remote gate, um, assessments, uh, yeah, usually it takes about, I always kind of factor that it's going to take one week for the, for the kit to get to the person. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Least, in the post, yeah. right? <laughs> and um, I'm surprised if it's quicker than that. Yeah. And then generally it's about two weeks. Normally is the average for someone to collect the data as they're going out running. Mm-hmm. And then about another week to send it back and what have you. So usually the process takes three to four weeks in, in absolute total before the person's got the the final result mm-hmm. and uh, report and what have you. Yeah. yeah. And that that is one of the challenges. You know, we live in a fast food generation and, mm-hmm. and where people are used to having everything at their fingertips. And, and there are, you know, there are less expensive ways of, uh, you know, apps and, and devices that you can buy, uh, to get a gate analysis, but you're not going to get Malk on the other end of that device. You're going to get an algorithm. Um, and there are free training plans that you can find. And there are articles on the internet that you can read. Um, but if, if you'd like to work with one of us, um, or with one of our other coaches, uh, also coach Carla, who, was on the last episode, uh, same deal. People set all these new year's resolutions. They want to lose weight or they want to change their diet and things like that. Um, she's happy to help, but just, um, the sooner you get in the, 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 the quicker we can meet your needs and the sooner we can get closer to that January 1st <laughs> start date for you. Um, but you know, once again, thank you for, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support of the show. Um, uh, 
in closing, we do get asked um, for recommendations a lot. Um, and, and so this is going to be a recommendation that I'm going to make um, for a holiday book idea, like maybe a stocking stuffer um, that you might want to buy for yourself or for that runner in your life. So, um, so, you know, after buying them the remote gate analysis and a tailored training plan or one-on-one -on -one coaching with me and, um, and those special gloves and mitts and micro spikes and treadmill or gym membership. Um, <laughs> here's a book that you, you get the rest of the list with the rest of the house remortgage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're just joking, but, but this is a new book that came out. Um, it's by Lisa Jung. Um, it's called running that doesn't suck how to love running. Even if you think you hate it and you can get that on Amazon or at uh, your local bookstore. Um, it's a, it's published by Running Press, um, and Lisa is based in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I'm promoting this book is that there are a couple pages um, with some suggestions by me on, on treadmill training. Um, but Lisa is a is a freelance writer um, for a number of different um, periodicals or uh, magazines, and and she and I actually met years ago um, when I ran on the treadmill uh, and she wrote an article about uh, that for runner's world and we've kept in touch and usually about this time of year I get swamped with questions about the treadmill so uh, we talked about <laughs> the treadmill again today but that it's a good book because it's a um, it's a quick and easy read uh, it's not overly technical or overly technical it's just like it gets to the point she's a runner she, this is her second uh, book, but she's she writes a lot of different articles. But um, and and then Malk, you actually mentioned a book uh, oh, yeah. uh, on your right. social media. On the, yeah, on social. Um, yeah. Uh, mainly because I thought, um, given the, the topic came up of like recommending books. Yeah. And um, and I'm not a big reader because I'm like um, I'm a real hands-on learner kind of person, you know. Um, but uh, but because we have like different backgrounds, I thought, ah, oh, I better start recommending some books that people in North America wouldn't buy because they're like published in Britain. <laughs> so the first one I recommended on social media was um, a book from 2000, end of 2013. It's got by a guy called Kevin Fong and um, the book's called Extremes. And um, it's one of these books that sort of, that really takes you on a journey through the human body and um, uh, links together case studies about showing how, what the human body can do and like its limits essentially through those case studies and those real life examples. And um, it's, there's other books in, of a similar style out there, but his is probably one of the most authentic because of his background, because he actually has like a, a physics, astrophysics type of background, but then he went on to become a doctor, medical doctor. So he's worked at NASA and done, you know, parabolic plane rides and stuff like that. But then, wow. he's, but then he's also worked in, you know, emergency and um, in the middle of... Um, London. So um, wow. he's got this incredible like depth of and width of knowledge, and you can tell that when you read the book. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, and it's kind of the way in to hear more about him because you can then obviously look at his other books after that, or go and check him out some of the stuff that he's done on TV and that's on YouTube. So um, yeah, he's one of those rare people that can almost sort of reminds me a bit of. Um, uh, the, the other professor, um, I think it's Brian Cox, the other guy. Like um, anyway, the guy that talks about he was on the Joe Rogan show. He's like he talks a lot about um, about planets and the solar system, the universe. Mm -hmm. 
but like uh, like this guy um, uh, Kevin Fong, they they can they can say it in a way that you'll understand what they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we certainly like accessible reads. Um, there's a reason that there's a not that not that education shouldn't continue, but there's a reason why um, people don't generally um, it, even even in our respective fields of study. Um, I'd much rather read the the version that's processed by a journalist, um, a good journalist, um, than than just the <laughs> the deep study. Unless unless I actually need to know all of the the jargon and the um, the stats um, specifically for what we're doing. But um, so those are those are a couple of recommendations. If uh, that's something I like to do, um, I I often gift myself any book that has come out that I didn't get a chance to read. That's what I, I buy myself or ask for those for Christmas. So, um, those are some books that you, you might look into. Um, hit us up with any of your questions on social media. Um, join the Facebook group, art and science of running, um, Facebook group, and, uh, please rate, review, share the episode with your friends, subscribe. Um, this will really help us out, um, to be seen, uh, by others, but also just to get this information out there to help others. I'll climb atop the highest mountain I'm going for a walk